Let's go to the Lord together and ask him to bring his blessings onto us as a church so that we can be a blessing to the city. Pray with me. Father, we do come to you with great thankfulness, with, with grateful hearts because of your amazing and extravagant love. Uh, you have caused us to be born again to a new and a living hope. We just don't see the world and life the way we used to. Um, Jesus, you have changed everything, and the good news of your gospel makes us new. And Father, we thank you for uh, all the ways that we can serve in our city. Thank you that we can celebrate uh, together as a community and raise money to help fight HIV and AIDS. Thank you that we can come together and help support Ed, Katie, and Leo as we seek to raise money to help them defray medical costs and uh, thinking about the future for how they're going to care for Leo. Uh, Father, we thank you for joining us together as a family and that we can act as a family. And Lord, we pray that the transformation we've experienced, we pray that the community that we enjoy here, our arms would be open wide to the city. God, that's what we want because we know that's your heart. You love the world. You love San Diego, and so we do too. And so use us and use the events that we're doing. Use the home, uh, the, the home arts and crafts event to help us reach out uh, and just to share who we are and what you've done for us with others. Lord, we want so much uh, to make you known and famous in San Diego. We want so much for people to know who you really are, uh, not the caricatures that cause people to dismiss you so easily. And so we pray that through our lives and through our community uh, that we would be uh, just a testimony and a witness um, to what you're like. And to that end, Lord, we now come to your word. We pray that you would open up the Bible to us, show us wonderful things about who you are, and convince us again that this is amazingly good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can look on the inside of your bulletin. Um, there we've got, like the, there's a passage from Mark 2 and also a passage from Mark 3 that's there in the bulletin that we're going to be looking at today. Um, there's also a place there to take notes. If you'd like to do that, let me give you a little bit of an introduction so that you'll know why we're looking at these particular passages. Um, we're in a series called Good News for a Change. Okay, good news. I was talking to my, my dad even this morning, and he, was, he, he heard that that's what we're talking about. He's like, good news, that's good. He's like, we really need it. It's like, I look at the news, I look at the newspaper. He's like, I could use some good news for a change. I'm like, that's exactly what we're talking about. Mark was one of the earliest biographies written about Jesus. And Mark says that Jesus' coming is good news. So in a, in a world that's full of bad news, it's full of negativity, Jesus is God coming to earth. And when God shows up, there is good news for everyone. God is showing the world what he's like, how he thinks, and how he feels. And so we've been looking at that. Um, this is the third week, and so um, just... By way of review, we've seen that, that this good news renews, right? This good news makes us new. We've seen that Jesus' renewal is both powerful and personal. Uh, we saw last week that God's plan is better than ours, right? Sometimes God thinks differently about the way our lives should go, and when our, when our plan differs from God's, God's plan is always better. Um, and we talked last week about why sometimes God doesn't heal us or answer our prayers the way we want him to. And so if you missed that, go on the website and check that out. But today, we're going to see that in the midst of this good news that Jesus was announcing, there was a growing number of people 
who didn't like what Jesus was doing. Okay, there was a growing opposition that came to Jesus and his message. And the people who hated Jesus the most were actually the religious leaders of Jesus' day. It was the folks who were the most spiritual. It was the folks who were running the, you know, back then what we would have called the church. Um, the religious leaders had a style of leadership that was so radically different from Jesus. And in Mark chapters 2 and 3, their opposition to Jesus highlights the kind of leader that Jesus was and the kind of leader that they were. And so we get to see in these passages, if you read over Mark 2 and 3, you'll see Jesus against the religious leadership. And you see that in the conflict, you see the kind of leader Jesus is. You also see the kind of leaders that Jesus opposes. Right? So many people get frustrated with religious leadership. So many people, I mean, this is vitally important for us to see that, you know, you have friends, you have colleagues, you have coworkers that don't like Christianity. You ask them about Christianity, what do you think about Christianity? And they'll give you a litany of reasons why they're not Christian. And not just that, but they'll give you a litany of reasons why they think that Christians are bad for the world, even. Uh, just problems that they have with the church, problems that they have. And so much of that comes down to the kinds of leaders that, are, that can be in the church, but also the vibe that some Christians can give off. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus is as opposed to that kind of leadership as your friends are and your coworkers, your colleagues. It is so important to be able, when people say bad things about Christianity, if they're, what they're saying is true, to be able to say, gosh, you know what, I agree with you. That is a big problem. In fact, Jesus hates that even more than you do. Right? So we're going to see that in the interaction between Jesus and, oh boy, the religious leaders who were harsh, judgmental, and self-righteous. Mark says that Jesus is good news for a change. Jesus is a leader that you can trust, and he can also make you into someone who can lead well. And so Jesus is not just a great leader, but Jesus makes people into great leaders. Okay, and so what we're going to see here is kind of the summary, if you want to fill this in in your bulletin. Um, to be like Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. Okay, that's kind of the bottom line here. To be like Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. And so, let's read first Mark 2. It's in your bulletin there, verses 13 to 17, as we see the kind of leader that Jesus is and the kind of leaders that Jesus opposed. Mark 2, 13 says, He went out again beside the sea. This is talking about Jesus. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we see here, this is Jesus' leadership. Okay, Levi was a tax collector. He was sitting at his tax booth. Okay, and you've got to understand, 
tax collectors in the first century were some of the most wretched people in all of Israel. Okay, they were the worst of the worst because they were traitors to their nation, traitors who had joined the oppressive Roman Empire. Okay, and they had to buy the right to collect taxes in a given region in the land of Israel. And they were given Roman soldiers to threaten and intimidate people. So the tax collector had to pay Rome a certain amount every year in taxes from their region. But then anything that they could get above that was theirs to keep. Anything. And they had soldiers ready to stand behind them. And so what they did was they would fleece the people. They'd shake them down and they would threaten violence from the Roman army if people didn't comply. And so this provided an incredibly cush lifestyle uh, for tax collectors. They were often incredibly wealthy. And so they were driven by a desire for money, for control. They must have had a penchant for violence to get the life that they wanted. And Jesus says to Levi in verse 14, follow me. And Levi does. Now, the more I thought about what was actually going on here, the more uncomfortable I became. Anybody else uncomfortable with this? Why would Jesus call him? Jesus is beginning to cull this following, right? You might, if, if you've been around church for a while, you might not think this is odd because, well, you've heard the story before or you're familiar that Jesus loves these kinds of people. But think about it. Jesus was just beginning to build a following. And if, if that's you, if you're starting something new and you're building a following, do you really want to add tax collectors? to your band of brothers? I mean, do you really want this kind of person on your team? I mean, if Jesus' followers were tax collectors, if they were crooked, if they were crooked, if they were greedy, if they were traitors and blackmailers, what does that say about Jesus? You with me? I mean, well, that's exactly how the religious leaders of Jesus' day responded. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they were aghast. Like, they couldn't believe it. They were scandalized. They were like, what in the world is he doing? Why is he hanging out with them? And not just hanging out, but he was eating with them. Jesus goes to a dinner party filled with tax collectors and sinners. Having dinner back then, that was like family. And so... um, And you have to understand that back then, the religious leaders, they believed that tax collectors were so crooked and so defiled that if you were in a room with them, you became religiously unclean. Okay? If you're in a room with them, you find out someone's a tax collector, you're at a party, you're hitting shake, oh, I'm a tax collector. You're like, oh man, I've got to go offer a sacrifice now and go through a ritual of ceremonial cleansing in order for me to be right with God again. And yet here is Jesus eating and drinking, and having a good time. And they're like, why? How could Jesus spend time with them? How could Jesus treat them like family? Friends, I think this still happens today. When the church makes people feel like they have to have their life together, right, to be accepted in the community, like that's not Jesus, clearly, because that is often the church. And even people who say, you know what, Jesus loves everyone, everyone is welcome, would never know how to welcome a tax collector if he or she showed up in the church. I mean, even people who would say, yeah, God loves the world, 
We wouldn't know how to welcome someone who has a past or a present that's not clean. I mean, even, it's not even sometimes like moralistic lifestyle choices, right? But sometimes it's just we have a hard time welcoming people that don't agree with us about stuff. I mean, it could be politics, like, oh man, you're in that party? Ooh, I didn't know you could be a Christian and be one of those. Right? Or someone comes and, you know what, they're beginning to want to explore Jesus and they don't think Jesus is the only way and we freak out. We act like we have to agree on everything in order to be welcoming. I think it's tempting for us to be like the religious leaders. We get uncomfortable when we read passages that make us uncomfortable because we don't want God to be more gracious than we are. Well, unless he's talking about us, then we want him to be super gracious, right? And so when we see Jesus accept people that we wouldn't or accept people that we don't want to have to or accept people that we just don't know how to accept, right, we get uncomfortable. And so I want to show you just some thoughts or a way to, to, to think about, like, this is sort of what religion does, like Jesus versus religion. Let's just put this out and, and make it really, really black and white. Um, here's what religion says. Religion says, if you behave, then you belong. Right? Pretty simple. Right? If you, if you change your life, then we'll accept you. And boy, like, we're willing to accept anybody as long as you become like us. We're willing to accept anybody. Yeah, you can have love as long as you do these things. As long as you change and become someone different from who you are, then of course you're welcome. That's religion. And that's not the gospel. It is not good news. That's not the way of Jesus. I mean, Jesus says to the religious leaders. He says in verse 17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus tells them, don't you realize that God did not appoint you to judge like this? Jesus says, don't you realize that leaders are supposed to be doctors before they're judges? Jesus hates bad leadership because it lies to people. Bad leadership in this way, it's a lie about what it means to have a relationship with God. Like that's what it's doing. It's lying to you about how to know God. It's lying to you about what God is like. It's lying to you about how to walk and be in relationship with God. Jesus says to the religious leaders, look, you're saying that they have to get their life right and then God will accept them. But I'm telling you, you've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. They need acceptance just the way they are. And that's how people change. Tax collectors can't change until they come and are accepted. And so Jesus said they had it backwards. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you believe, then you belong. If you believe in me, then you belong. Jesus says, if you believe in me, then you are with me. I love you just the way you are. I accept you exactly as you are. In fact, this is the only way that real change happens from the inside out. Believe in me, receive my love. I will adopt you into my family. And so when you believe and then you belong, then something else happens. 
Because when you believe, you then belong, but then third, and you become. When you believe, you belong, and you become a renewed person. It's the love of God. It's accepting, and it's transforming. Jesus is both personal and powerful. In verse 17, he says, those who are sick don't need, are the ones who need a physician. Right? If you know you're sick, I have come for you. People who don't want me, they think that they're well. But people who do want me, they're willing to admit they aren't what they should be. And so there's people who think that they're well, and there's people who think they're sick. Which are you today? Jesus would say, look, are you on board with God's plan to renew the world? Do you agree that God is renewing the world through me? Are you willing to follow me? If you are not, then Jesus says with tongue in cheek, well, I, I guess you're well then, and you don't need me. And that's what he's saying. And I imagine that the religious leaders would have said, well, yeah, we're well. We're not sick. What's wrong with you? They would have walked away. But if you're willing to say yes, then the good news is that Jesus is your great physician. Bad news is we've got to say we're sick, but the good news is we get Jesus. We get Jesus. And so that's the kind of leader Jesus is. That's not only the kind of leader Jesus is, but that's the kind of leader that Jesus trains and creates. Because Levi follows Jesus. Uh, the direction of his life that's fundamentally changed. Jesus was actually, he was a rabbi. He was a Jewish rabbi. And so back then, if a rabbi were to say to you, follow me, he wasn't saying, hey, I want to show you something real quick. Check this out. No, no, no. For a rabbi to say to somebody, follow me, the rabbi was saying, I want to be your teacher. I will accept you to be my apprentice or my student. And for someone to follow it meant that Levi was taking Jesus to be his rabbi and his teacher. And so what does Levi do? Well, verse 15 says he went and he threw a party. He threw a party and he invited his, his colleagues, his friends, his co-workers. Right? There were many, many, it says there were many tax collectors and sinners there. And so Levi's touched and he says, he goes, he goes to his friends, he's like, you're not going to believe this. You are not going to believe this. There's a rabbi, and everyone rolls their eyes. Oh, rabbis, we know about them. It's like, no, 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 no. There's a new rabbi. He's doing miracles, and he's healing people. And he's teaching that God has come to save us. And they're like, yeah, we've heard this before. You know, the, the, the rabbis come, God's going to save Israel. No, 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 us, us. They're like, yeah, us, we get it. The nation, no, 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 us, tax collectors. He's come for us. They're like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? Matthew's like, look, he asked me to follow him. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> All right, let's start over again. Matthew, what are you talking about? What is that? He says, Jesus, he's bringing the kingdom of God, and he's welcoming us, tax collectors. You've got to come, and you've got to meet him. You've got to see this for yourself. Friends, this is what happens. When you are, when you get the good news, when you believe in the good news of Jesus, when, when the love of God 
touches you and it transforms you, you want to touch others. You want to see other people in your life transformed. Right? When you understand that God accepts you just as you are and somehow, somehow God's forgiveness doesn't make you want to go do bad stuff because you can get away with it, but it actually changes your heart. When you see that Jesus has done so much for you, and then all of a sudden you feel that he's doing something in you, you want other people to know this. Right? How many of you have friends, family members, co-workers, colleagues, neighbors, where you think, wow, I wish they could experience what I've experienced with Jesus. That's what Matthew is doing. Or, I'm sorry, that's what Levi is doing. Scholars think that, that Levi here is Matthew. Um, and so, but that's another story, sorry. And so, and here's Levi's testimony, because we've seen that John the Baptist, the precursor to Jesus, even talked to tax collectors. And so here's Levi's testimony. Hey, Jesus really loves us. Gone over that already. We've been told, look, just do tax collecting, but do it honestly. There's a different way that we can go about doing this. Right? We can come back into the kingdom. Jesus invites us in, and when we do, when we do, we don't need to fleece people anymore. We don't need to take advantage of people anymore. We don't need to gouge them. In fact, we can have an attitude toward Rome that may even impact our relationship as a nation with Rome. Levi's thinking, wait, because if, if we're free from the love of money, and we can live that way. Then we can collect what Rome wants in a way that is understanding of the people of Israel that we're collecting from. And we can begin to advocate for some of the folks of Israel. We can also come with like hearts that are broken over the oppressive nature of Rome. And we can show people that we are just collecting what they are asking for and no more. We can be radically different kinds of tax collectors. So you see that Levi here realizes, you know what, my work is an amazing opportunity for me to display the transforming love of Jesus. That my faith matters in the way that I do my work. Now the other tax collectors would have stood around and been like, dude, you're crazy. You are crazy absolutely nuts. How can you say all this? And Levi would have said, you know what? Yeah, you're right. This is crazy. Like, I would have thought this was crazy too, and then I met Jesus. And then I met Jesus. And you need to meet him too. Because Levi said, you know what? I don't actually need wealth anymore because Jesus has given me everything that I need. He said, I don't need to threaten people anymore because, you know what? Jesus has loved me and saved me from the wrath of God. God, there's a threat out that we're going to pay for our sins, and Jesus loved me and forgave my sins. So, man, God's anger toward me is gone, so how could I possibly be angry with other people? God has been so loving, so understanding, so gracious to me. It doesn't matter if I get my way or not, because God didn't get his way with me and yet he's forgiven me. And I want to show that love and share that love with others. Have you experienced the gospel like this? Have you experienced that this is good news? Can you convince someone else that Jesus is actually good news? 
when you talk about who Jesus is and the way Jesus treats people in a way that would make other people go, wow, yeah, if you were really like that, that would be compelling. Friends, this is Jesus. You see him. Like, you can just read this story. You can see how Jesus is reaching out to the tax collectors and the sinners, the folks that are far gone. You can see Jesus responding to them. You can see the religious leaders with the exact opposite response. And ask yourself, what is God leading me to do in response to the people in my life? Jesus sets us free, and he fills our cup to overflowing. He fills our cup to overflowing with his love, um, and not even so that we'd have a cup that overflows, but so that we'd be a pitcher that then pours in to others. And that's what Levi's doing here, right? He's had this amazing encounter with Jesus, and he's like, I want all my friends to meet him. I want everybody that I know to have a chance. It's, it's like Levi's taking his cup, he's adding a handle and a spout, and he's trying to pour in what he's gotten into the people that he knows. He's become this pitcher to share this good news. I mean, this is amazing. And so this, like Jesus is the best kind of leader that you could imagine. Okay? He's inclusive. He's not judgmental. He's welcome. He welcomes anyone who is honest enough to admit that they're sick, and he wants to join God's work in the world. If Levi could join Jesus, surely all of us could. All of us could. And what's great about Jesus as a leader is that even when the peer pressure comes, he doesn't buckle. Right? Even when the religious leaders, even when the folks in the know, even when the sort of hoity-toity people that have all of the persuasion, all of the notoriety and the culture of the time, even when they come at Jesus and criticize him, he doesn't back down. He doesn't let them win. He stands up to them. In the rest of Mark 2, we see there's questions about fasting. There's questions about what to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus has a different way of doing things because Jesus actually understands the purpose behind God's laws. He understands the reason behind things. That's the kind of leader you want. You don't want someone who's so stuck on the rules and the regulations that they completely miss the point. But that's what happened. That's what happens with religion. That's what religion does to us. It says, behave so you can belong. Do so that you can live. But Jesus says, you know what? I've come to give you life. I've come so that you would experience life and life abundantly. And so, man, when this happens, we want to share. We want to tell people, like, this is what Jesus is like. He didn't come for perfect people. He didn't come for the folks who have their lives together. You don't have to get your life right to follow him. You follow him first, and then he will help you get your life right. This is good news. Good news for a change. And what's exciting is that in chapter 3, then Jesus goes on to show that he didn't just come for individuals like Levi, but he came to change the world. Okay, he came to change the world. Um, and so he chooses the 12. That's the reading in chapter 3 from verse 13. Let's read that. It says, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to, the, to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. 
to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And so what we see here is that the leader that Jesus is, um, he came to be this incredible leader, uh, but he also came to make incredible leaders. Right? So everything that Jesus is, Jesus will train you to be. And that's what he does. After all the conflicts that, 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 that begin with this thing about eating with tax collectors and sinners, it goes on to fasting. After all of these conflicts, Jesus says, you know what? We need to reboot this thing. We need to start over. We need a new operating system. We need a new version. We need new equipment. We need new hardware because the folks in charge are not leading people to God. And so Jesus picks 12. And there's a wonderfully symbolic reason for the 12. There's also a very human reason to pick 12. Okay, wonderfully symbolic is that Jesus is starting Israel over. Okay? Um, the history of Israel, Israel, the nation of Israel is made up of 12 tribes. Right? When Jacob's name was changed to Israel and Israel became a nation, it had 12 tribes, 12 families that made up the nation. And so Jesus is restarting Israel. He's saying, look, Israel is so far gone that it needs to be started over. And so he, Jesus, is starting over with 12 to replace. He's saying the nation of Israel needs to be replaced. And so that's the symbolic reason. But there's a very human reason, too, uh, to pick 12. It's for him, and it's also for the 12. Right? Jesus chose 12 because he actually knew the wisdom of living within limits. He knew that in order for him to actually get the 12 to become the kind of leaders that he would ultimately hand the church to, um, he couldn't do it with everyone. And so Jesus had to say yes to limits. So he picked 12, both for his sake, because he has only a certain amount of time, and Jesus knows that in order for them to become the kind of leaders that he wants them to be, he's got to focus. Right? He had a relationship with the crowds, he had a relationship with all kinds of people, and yet he spent time, he devoted himself to the 12 in ways that we'll see as we go through the rest of Mark. But it was also for their sake. <clears throat> it's also for their sake, because he knew, I've got 24 hours in a day, just like you do. Um, I can't pour myself into a thousand people, but for them, they also, these 12, they need personal time with me. They need to see, to not just hear my teaching, but they need to see my life up close and personal. They need to be able to interact with me. Friends, this is what we call discipleship, right? It's intentional, uh, it's regular intentional time together with an aim to growing spiritually. Like, that's what Jesus is doing here, and this is how Jesus is renewing the nation. And what's exciting here is that you get the secret. The secret is given to us in verse 14. It says, He appointed twelve whom he named apostles so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Here's Jesus' secret leadership development process. He let them be with him and then he sent them out on mission. 
And that's what it is. He let them be with him, and he sent them out. From the beginning, from the beginning in Genesis 1, when God first created humanity, he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill up the earth. I'm giving you my authority so that you would replicate yourselves in others. Like This is God's design, is that we replicate ourselves, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And the way that Jesus is doing it is he's saying, come and be with me. Come be with me. I mean, the joy of the gospel is that Jesus came to be with us so that we could be with him. That's the glory of the gospel. That's how it works. Jesus came and didn't just come to preach to the world. He came to be with the world. He came to invest in people personally. And we're going to watch what happens um, with the 12. But what this shows us here is that Jesus comes to be with us so that we might be with him. And you need to understand this. Like This is the good news. It starts here and they spend time and Jesus teaches and he answers their questions and he shows them stuff and he points things out and he lets them see him reacting to different kinds of things in life. And so they're both hearing him and they're seeing him. Friends, this is what all of us need. This is what all of us need. And what's glorious is that for us to see Jesus, it starts here, but it leads him all the way to the cross. It leads Jesus through a myriad of conflict, of frustrations, of things that are just like the stuff that we deal with. Jesus experienced all of it. He experienced all of it so that you would know that whatever you're going through, Jesus is with you. He's with you. So in all the things that we go through, Jesus has experienced it. He's experienced temptation in every way like we have, yet he never sinned. And yet he went to the cross then to pay for our sins. So in some ways, he is always with us, but then Jesus goes to a place that we will never have to go. He takes the punishment of our sins on himself on the cross, and he rises from the dead so that we can be forgiven, so that we can go free, so that we can receive the transforming, powerful love of God, and so that we can be leaders like that. Jesus trained the 12 this way, and friends, he wants to train you this way. So we need to spend time with him. Like, this is why we want to read the Bible, and I guarantee you, this week, if you just spend time reading Mark 2 and Mark 3 and just watch Jesus interacting, some of the stuff you're going to understand, some of the stuff you're not going to understand, but you can get the picture. It's such an amazing thing to see the way Jesus responds and the way the religious leaders respond. They're like, if you behave, then you can belong. And Jesus is like, guys, you completely missed the point. You totally missed the point. Don't you realize that I have come to bring healing and life? Don't you realize that this is what God is doing in the world? When you see Jesus like that, when you understand that he died and he rose again for you, you will become like this. You will become like this. As you spend time with him, you become like him. And then Jesus will say, who do you know? Jesus will put on your heart, pick two people that are in our church and make sure you're caring for them spiritually. 
pick two or three people outside the church who don't know Jesus yet and ask yourself, how can I share with them the love of Jesus? If you do that, if you can do that, and again, I mean, write the names down, start praying for folks in the church, folks outside the church, as we continue to see this good news start change, you will find your relationships with those people also change. And we'll become leaders like Jesus. Not perfect, always sick, always needing forgiveness, but progressively becoming more and more like him. This is how we'll renew San Diego. This is how we will fill this city with people like Jesus, who understand the point, who know not just the what, but who know the why, and have good news to share about a God who, if you believe, you will belong, and that he will help you become the best version of yourself you could imagine. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for showing us Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being this kind of leader who can see through all of this, the crap that gets thrown in the way. Jesus, save us and free us from religion and let us walk in relationship with you, seeing you clearly and being like you to others. We pray this in your name.